0: Welcome to the Organisational Inclusionist. I'm your host Grace Masuro. In this podcast series, we'll be delving deep into the pressing issues surrounding equality, diversity and inclusion in both the workplace and the broader world. My goal is to foster understanding, inspire change and amplify the voices of those advocating for a more inclusive and equitable society. Throughout this series, I'll be engaging in candid discussions with leaders, experts, activists and changemakers from various fields. We'll explore the challenges, successes, and evolving landscapes of equality, diversity, and inclusion. From dismantling systematic biases to promoting equal opportunities for all, we'll touch on a broad range of topics. But we won't stop at discussing problems we'll actively seek out solutions and actionable steps to drive positive change. Our aim is to inspire and empower you, our listeners, to take an active role in making the world a better place for everyone. This is The Organizational Inclusionist. Let's get started. Welcome everyone to this episode of the Organisational Inclusionist. My name is Grace Masuro and I'm your host. Today I'm joined by Catherine Stothart, who is a leadership coach, who has coached and trained hundreds of leaders in top multinational companies, including Airbus, Google, and Audi. She's also the author of two business and self-development books, How to Get On With Anyone and Motivation, The Ultimate Guide to Leading Your Team. Catherine, thank you so much for joining today. Uh, I'm really looking forward to our conversation about the power of inclusive communication and also really excited that we're going to be the first to hear an extract from the chapter in the newest edition of your new book, How to Get On With Anyone, which is due out later in 2024. So I just want to say thank you in advance. That's and right. I'm really looking forward to that. Um, so before we get stuck in, I always like to start the sessions with an intro to really give our listeners a bit more context about who you are and
1: the work that you do. So would you mind just letting everyone know who Catherine is and what yeah. you do? Okay, thanks, Grace. And I'm very pleased to be here. It's lovely to be invited. Uh, yes, yeah, so I'm a leadership coach. I work with Airbus. I've worked with Airbus for about ten years, coaching some of their their leaders. So that's one-to-one executive coaching. Um, I also work with Google. The Google work started during COVID actually, and they launched a programme to train managers in how to coach their teams. Uh, and so I'm one of a number of facilitators. We, we deliver this training online. It's a global program. And I'm one of a, a few UK-based facilitators delivering this this program for Google. So that's really good. So sometimes I can have people who are in America or Thailand or most usually it's somewhere in Europe or, or uh, Middle East or Africa because of the time zones. But um, that's really interesting. Um, I also run workshops on communicating for positive impact and influence, and on motivation. So both of those workshops are related to my two books. Um, And yeah, background-wise, so I, I don't know how much detail you want me to go into, Grace, but my background, I started in human resource management with Ford Motor Company. Then I joined Mercury Communications Uh, And then I went to ICL, ICL, British Computer Company. The division I was in um, merged with Nokia Data of Finland. And then the whole of ICL was taken over by Fujitsu. And as a result of that, we had some training on national cultures. So Finnish culture and Japanese culture in particular. And I think that opened up my eyes to this whole area of communication and behavior and how um, Yeah, how 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 it it, culture and other things influence how we behave, I guess. Then I left ICL to go abroad because of my husband's job. So we lived in Brazil for two years and Egypt for three years. And again, I had a wonderful opportunity to really experience different cultures at first hand and came back from Brazil actually 20 years ago now. That 20 years seems to have flown (laughs) but um yeah and i mean personally i'm married i've got two sons grown up sons and i'm quite sporty so i play tennis and i play golf as Amazing. well and yeah
0: <laughs> brilliant thank you for that Catherine i think our listeners have got a really good sense of who you are um so we i mentioned earlier in the intro that you are going to share with us an excerpt from the new edition of your book how to get on with anyone um but that Excerpt or the chapter you're going to read from is about inclusive communication.
1: Mm-hmm. So
0: can you just talk us through what you mean when you refer to inclusive communication and why does it even matter?
1: Yes. Yeah, so, um, inclusive communication is basically communicating in, in a way that makes other people feel valued and accepted for who they are. So, there's three words I use in this chapter, and in fact, these three words crop up in the rest of the book as well but I talk about our core needs to feel that we're significant you know Mm -hmm. that we matter to other people and we belong secondly to feel competent and feel respected for our competence and thirdly um, to feel that we're likable and that people like us and that we can be free to be ourselves Mm. so communicating inclusively is about communicating in a way that helps the other people that you're communicating with feel that they're significant, they're competent and they're likeable. You know, they matter, they matter, they're respected and you like them. Mm. Um, so that, that's, that's how I define it. And then obviously I develop that idea in, in the rest of the chapter.
0: And why does it matter then? Why do
1: we need, why, why should we even bother doing that? Okay, good, good question. I think there's two real big reasons why it matters. Um, firstly, from the point of view of the individual, um, If you don't feel included, you know, accepted, valued for who you are, that has a big impact on your mental health and ultimately your physical health. Because if you continually feel you're an outsider, you don't fit in, you don't belong, you're in that state of, you know, that flight or fight response state Mm. that we go into when we feel threatened. And that means you have cortisol, the hormone cortisol running through your body um, and over the long run not only does that make you feel you know, unhappy or stressed, but you, that can actually lead to physical problems like heart problems, for example. So for the individual, it's you know, a pretty unpleasant experience to be in that situation, uh, for example, at work or, or in their social lives. For, for organisations, it really means that you're missing out on a lot of talent because when people don't feel that they belong, when they don't feel significant, competent and likable, then they don't contribute in the way that they could. They don't speak mm-hmm. up, they don't give their views and opinions. So you don't get that diversity of thought that you would get if they did contribute. Mm-hmm. And you know, we live in a diverse society, companies, organizations have customers, clients, employees who are diverse, and we need people to feel that they can, you know, contribute and, and, and be themselves. There's a great book actually by Matthew Syed called Rebel Ideas and that book is about um diversity of thought and the importance of having diversity of thought in your organisations and also I think in society as a whole really. Mm -hmm. So I do think you know inclusive communication I do think it really does matter for individuals but also for the wider, wider society. Absolutely I agree. What would
0: what do you think are some of the barriers to inclusive communication?
1: Wow, (laughs) what a big question. Um, the first barrier, in a sense, is in our psychology. So we have a tendency, a cognitive tendency, a tendency in our brain, if you like, to favor people who are like ourselves. It's easier to build rapport with people who are similar to us. We feel more comfortable with people who are similar to, to us. And in a, in, a, in a way, our brains automatically put the world around us into categories. That's how we make sense of the world.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: We put things into categories. Um, and that's what we tend to do with other other people as well as with objects and so on. So, you know, we'll we'll think, oh, it's male, female, tall, short, fat, thin. We automatically put things into categories, which helps us make sense of the world. The problem is when we then make assumptions based on those categories. So, um, you know, if I see, if I'm walking down the street and I see a woman, you know, um, wearing a headscarf or wearing a hijab, then if I think, um, oh, she must be subservient, uh, that is going to affect how I communicate with her. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but uh, so I just made a, an assumption based on the fact that she's wearing a, a headscarf, you know, or if I see a, a group of, um, I don't know, black youth, say, on the corner of a street and I think, oh, goodness, they must be up to no good. That, that, that's another assumption. There's no but but my assumptions are wrong. Mm. You know, we make assumptions that categories, we can't help. We do put people in, and things into categories, but then where we go wrong, and this is the biggest barrier to inclusive communication, where we go wrong is then making assumptions, unfounded assumptions based on those categories, which then influence what we do and what we say and, you know, what we think and what we what we feel. So I think that's the biggest barrier. I think another barrier really is just lack of knowledge and lack of awareness, lack of education, if you like. Yeah. Um, I mean I, I having lived abroad in two different very different cultures, you know, I got that opportunity, if you like, to get an insight into different national cultures and to some extent religions, because obviously Egypt is an Islamic country. Um, but unless you expose yourself, unless you have the opportunity to be exposed to all these different cultures, religions, genders, you know, whatever it might be, regions within the UK even, then um then you you just doesn't um yeah, it's just harder to not make assumptions.
0: Yeah. No, definitely. We hear about unconscious bias a lot in Edie and I. And I always make a joke when I'm delivering sessions. Like, has anyone heard of unconscious bias? Because you hear it, it's everywhere, right? Yeah, yeah. And how it impacts our interactions with one another. Yeah. How do unconscious biases influence our communication and interactions with others? You talked through that. Um, in your examples earlier, but just, you know, what could you just articulate a little bit more or just expand a bit more on that around the role of unconscious bias and how it shows up in the way that we
1: communicate with each other? Mm, yeah. Um, I th- one thing about unconscious bias, actually, and I don't know whether you find this in the work that you do, but people don't like it if you suggest they have unconscious bias, but we all do. We mm. all have unconscious bias, as I hopefully I illustrated by the couple of examples I, I gave then. You know, we see something, we make assumptions and we do that unconsciously. We're not really aware a lot of the time of the assumptions that we're making. And I find that sometimes if you mention unconscious bias, people react emotionally. You know, I'm not biased. Um, yes. Oh, no, no, can't possibly. I treat everybody the same, etc. cetera. Um, so I think it's a bit of an unhelpful term. Um, and I think i possibly in danger of repeating what I was just saying, but really, you know, we have it. The key is being more aware that you've got it. And then, OK, so how do I behave so that I, um, you know, I'm more aware? How do I know? How, how can I be more aware of my unconscious bias, the assumptions I'm, I'm making? Um, so, I mean, I guess another example would be if I meet somebody um, who's in a wheelchair um, what, what assumptions do I make about that person? Do I assume that they can contribute or not? Or do I assume that they can't contribute? And in fact, actually on the subject of wheelchairs, something awful happened to me recently, which is I was taken into a room to meet somebody and there was a, a tall man standing there. And I automatically said hello to the tall man, completely ignored the person alongside him in a wheelchair because I didn't even see him. He was below mm. my eye, eye level now I think that's an example of unconscious bias that I didn't even see the person in the wheelchair Mm. because I was looking at the 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 higher level so you know and and when we have these little biases we tend we we may ignore people we might put them down um not listen to them or you know not even talk to them yeah so I think that's yeah I think that's how it comes out we don't do this deliberately and that's why it's called unconscious we're not doing it deliberately Mm. but it's the way our brains work and the way we've been um well it reflects our experience of, of living in the world really
0: no definitely I remember a few years back I was um I was a stakeholder manager for an organization and I was responsible for pulling together supply chains for bids that the organization were going to go on. And I went for a meeting with a university who were potentially going to be part of our supply chain that we were building. And I'd selected the university based on my understanding of the work that they do and how I felt they'd add value in delivery and subsequently in the bid. And I remember going to this, it was in, um, the Midlands and I remember going to this university and sitting in the waiting room for or sitting in reception for the person I was meeting to come down and she walked into the reception there were quite a few of us sitting in a row uh, waiting for different people I can only assume and um, she walked through she walked down the line saying grace to every woman in the line skipped me and continued saying grace to everybody else. And I watched her. And when she'd finished and she looked confused and went back to the receptionist, before she got back to the receptionist, I said, hi, I'm Grace. And I stood Gosh. up and she, yeah. she literally looked like she wanted the ground to swallow her I up. Bet.
1: Yeah.
0: yeah. Um, and, nice. you know, that was a perfect example of unconscious bias. She didn't expect, you know, a black woman to be there selecting a supply chain and leading that activity yeah um, needless to say I didn't put them on the supply chain um I didn't think yeah. it was a good representation of the culture and the values that the organization that I worked for had mm. um but it was obviously it was a little bit painful it did sting but it wasn't a shock because yeah. I do agree we all have unconscious biases and they exist and there are a lot of unconscious biases that occur because of our environments the people that we spend our time with what we're used to seeing etc yeah it is really important of being mindful of them and being aware of them and you know you mentioned earlier about people get really defensive some people do get defensive I am very conscious of my unconscious biases so I have you know some biases I'm not proud of if I see a tall white man in a room I would assume that he's the boss or that he's got really powerful role because he's tall and he's white and we associate those power um but similarly if I see a um you know a black woman a a more a a middle-aged black woman who's you know a fuller fuller figured woman Mm. I would automatically associate love and warmth with that woman because yes. of my association with that growing up as a child yeah. um but she might not be that she might not be yeah. that you know but it Sorry. is an unconscious bias so yeah just to kind of the only reason i give those examples is to highlight that actually we always think of unconscious biases as being negative and when we're talking about them in equality diversity inclusion traditionally they are unconscious unconscious biases that mean that we treat other people you know, unfairly or unfavorably as a result yeah. of those unconscious biases. But the fact that we can have unconscious biases that are that appear positive, appear yeah. as positive,
1: yeah.
0: um, but they are based on our experiences and just really highlighting that we have them for a yeah. range of different reasons, yeah. because of different experiences. Yeah. Um and it doesn't make you a bad person, it makes you human. Like that's what the yes. human brain does. Yes. The human brain reasons based on past
1: experiences
0: or yes. knowledge that we've had and that's where unconscious bias comes from
1: yeah and so the key as you, as we said is you know being aware of it I've got another quick example so I used to do a lot of interviewing of people for recruitment and I also used to train managers in, in interviewing skills and I sometimes gave the example to the managers of at the end of the day if you've interviewed half a dozen people for a job You're a bit tired. You've got your competency based questions ready. You know, you're a bit tired. And then the last person of the day walks in and, you know, they look a bit scruffy or they've got a regional accent or whatever. There's a tendency to think, oh, God, this is going to be a waste of time. However, I don't do that. I'm a professional person. You know, I don't do that. Um, And the number of times I've gone through an interview in that situation and actually that person has turned out to be the best person for the job has it's it's amazing really and I you know that's a little anecdote I used to give to the managers I used to train because mm-hmm. yeah you've got to be aware of your assumptions and then you've got to discount them absolutely. And, and be open-minded and look for the evidence that hopefully disproves those assumptions
0: absolutely I think look for the evidence is so important as well Because that in itself is a huge challenge, is actually looking for evidence that disproves what you already believe. That takes work and commitment.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: So let's say I'm someone who wants to unpack my biases. Mm -hmm. What steps can I take to become more
1: aware of them and mitigate their impact on communication? That is a... Again, a big question. Um, So I think we're already starting to touch on that. It's, you know, try challenging yourself all the time. Hang on. What assumptions am I making here? You know, hang on. What assumptions am I making here? You have to keep saying that to yourself, really. Um, And even, you know, if it's that very basic thing of if somebody talks about, you know, a surgeon, a pilot, a plumber, do you assume it's a man? And and why, you know, or if they talk about a nurse or a teacher or a care care assistant, you probably assume it's a woman. You have to constantly, you know, almost challenge those those assumptions that you're making and then the consequences of those assumptions, as as you said, how it then makes you behave if you make the make an assumption that maybe isn't isn't correct. Um, I think you have to go out of your way almost to get to know people from other backgrounds and other cultures and put yourself into situations um where you are, you know, just meeting people who are different from you. Um and there's a, there are actually some tests you can do. There's there's a test, Harvard um has the implicit association test. Mm-hmm. So you can actually take that, and that is supposed to uh surface some of your you know unconscious biases and so on. Um I have a little thing in the chapter of the book, a little exercise, because my book's Both my books are very practical with lots of examples and, you know, try this out for yourself. And one of the little exercises I've got in this chapter is to think, well, if you had a problem, you know, any sort of problem and you needed to talk to somebody about it, write down all the the people you would talk to. So write down their names. You know, in my case, it might be my husband. Say as a starting point, it might be a friend. Write down the names of all the people you would talk to about your problem. And then write down, you know, what's their gender? What's their age? um, Do they have any disabilities? What's their race? What's their religion? Write down some of those other characteristics. Are they neurodiverse? Um, And what people often find is that they're very similar. The the people they would talk to are from a very narrow group. If you start looking at, you know, defining people in in those various ways, in terms of their different identities, you find, gosh, that's a really narrow group. Mm. In my case, if I'm only obviously, um, I know listeners to this podcast can't see me, but, you know, I'm a white, middle-aged woman. And if if the only people I talk to about my problems are white, middle-aged women, I'm probably not going to get necessarily the best solution uh, to my problem. And I'm certainly not going to get many diverse opinions or perspectives Mm -hmm. on it. So I think that's another thing um, you can do to mitigate, you know, educate yourself, put yourself into other situations, watch things on television, listen to radio, listen to podcasts like this one. There's lots of awareness raising things you can you can do, I think.
0: Mm, Absolutely. Thank you. What part do stereotypes play in how we communicate with people? So we talked about biases, but then we also have stereotypes that we learn from TV. We learn from yeah. parents, from whatever. Yes. What part do they play?
1: Yeah. And, and I guess that's a bit like the categories I was talking about earlier. You know, we do put people into these these categories, you know, black person, white person or whatever. Um, actually, you know, stereotypes can be useful and putting people into categories can be useful. So for example, you know, we have a stereotype of Germans, that they are always on time. Um, We have a stereotype. Oh, didn't you? All right. Okay. (laughs) Well, maybe, maybe I've got some unconscious bias here. I don't know. (laughs) I just maybe I've just not met enough German people. I just didn't know. <laughs> okay. Well, look, I've got luckily working with Airbus. It's very much a European company, so I have contact with okay. French, Spanish, Germans as well as British people, which is lovely. Um, and luckily, they, they they speak English to me, so that's good. Um, yeah. Well, Swiss is another example of a of a nation that tend to be. We have a stereotype there on time. Um, if you think of Japanese people, I think we have a stereotype that they're very formal. And you've got to, you know, be think about what you say and how you say it. So to some extent, stereotypes can help us communicate. Mm -hmm. Because if I have in my head those those stereotypes and I know I'm going to be having a meeting with somebody German, for example, I'm going to make sure I'm on time. Yeah. Or if I know I'm going to be with a Japanese person, I'm going to think about, well, how should I say hello? You know, what's... In fact, I worked last week with a China Construction Bank, uh, had a workshop, 20 people, two thirds of whom were Chinese. So I did read up a little bit on Chinese culture beforehand. Um, but anyway, if you if you know some things about, you know, if you have some of these stereotypes, then you can be a bit better prepared and hopefully not make any you know, mistakes or upset anybody. But I think you also have to say the stereotype is only going to take you so far. Mm. You know, there's a big danger then that uh, first of all, you know, not all Germans might be punctual, <laughs> as you've just said. Um, you know, there's a danger because the stereotype could be wrong anyway, or it might be wrong about that particular individual. So I think they can help us a little bit sometimes, but you know, people are much more complex than any stereotype. We're all complex. We're not, you know, one label. You know, white, middle class, black, female, um, LGBT, whatever, does not define the person. We're much more complex than that. And so our stereotypes tend to only look at one aspect of a person. But in fact, we're all much more complex than any one single aspect of ourselves. Definitely. There's a stereotype that I've
0: heard basically all my life. I'm Nigerian and there's this thing called Nigerian time. Oh, yes. so okay. if you go to a Nigerian Nigerian event or whatever, you're meant to come like two or three hours after the time it says it starts. Yeah. And I absolutely cannot stand that about us as Nigerians because it is very true. And I right. also will just turn up two to three hours late. But the problem is that then perpetuates the issue yeah. because everyone thinks that way. So everyone comes late. Whereas if we all decided, no, it says it starts at three. I'm going to get there at three. Yes. Uh, but yeah so um but yeah no i i completely get it about the stereotypes and how we can research that
1: yeah but again you know knowing that say stereotype socially so if i've you know if i know i'm going to be going to some party hosted by nigerians then i would probably take advice what what time should i turn up
0: and in fact, always do yeah, do. even with Nigerians, and I'm Nigerian. Yeah. I'd be like, yeah. if I get an invitation that says it starts at six, I'd be like, does it really start at six? Or have you told everyone it starts at six because you know they'll be late? So you're yeah. actually starting at nine because yeah. <laughs> I get there at six. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Definitely take the advice. I think that's so important. Yeah, because the worst thing is sitting there at a party by yourself and then you wait three hours and you're knackered by the time everyone comes. And you just exactly. Have to go. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh okay. yeah. So I'm excited. Your second edition of How to Get On With Anyone is in the making. And you've got a chapter on inclusive communications, as we yes. mentioned earlier. It would be great to hear a piece of the book or that section that you're happy for us to hear. Um, listeners, you're the first people to be hearing <laughs> this publicly. So I'm really excited. I hope you are too.
1: <laughs> okay, so so this um, chapter... Um, about inclusive communication or communicating inclusively. I think I put it that way around as the chapter heading. Towards the end of it, so I've got lots of advice and guidance, do this, don't do that, you know, think about this, think about that, all that sort of stuff. But then towards the end of the chapter, I've got a little section on what to do when non-inclusive behaviour occurs. So if you feel someone has said or done something to you that you think that, you know, they really shouldn't have and that's made you feel excluded, um, what should you do? Um, and of course, so I'm going to read that because partly because I thought, well, it might be useful, but also, you know, there's never only one answer to any Mm -hmm. problem. So this is my take on what to do, but, you know, I'm sure listeners will have other ideas. So this is the section, what to do when non-inclusive behavior occurs. Sometimes non-inclusive behavior occurs through ignorance or clumsiness rather than ill ill will. But it can have a damaging impact on the people concerned and on their ongoing relationships. People are sometimes reluctant to speak up due to embarrassment or fear of how the other person will react. In some circumstances, not speaking up might be the right thing to do. But if non inclusive behaviour continues without being challenged, this can lead to other unwanted outcomes. Remember that saying nothing is not saying nothing, it gives the impression that the behaviour was acceptable. And the longer this continues, the harder it is to change it. It becomes part of the team culture. So what can you do if something inappropriate is said to you? Before launching into a conversation, decide what outcome you would like to reach, what you want to be different. Maybe you want an apology and you probably want them to agree to change their behaviour in future. Follow this simple formula and describe the behaviour, its impact, and the desired change that you want to see. So the first step is flag that you have something to say, pause, describe the behavior, what was said or done, pause, state the impact of the behavior on you, including how it made you feel, pause, request the change that you would like, and then listen to their response. The use of pauses enables you to come across in a measured, thoughtful way, and shows that this conversation is important to you. Telling the person how it made you feel has a powerful impact. Often people don't realise the impact of their behaviour on others. They may not respond in exactly the way you would like, but it's likely that they will change their behaviour in future. And you will feel better that you raised it rather than ignoring it. So that's just that one, one extract. I then go on to cover some of the you know aspects of what to do if you cause offense and so on but hopefully that gives you a little taster of of the chapter and you know of the practical hopefully usefulness of the chapter
0: I think what you said about getting the the impact across is so important because sometimes people we talk about is the intent behind what's what's been said that's important and a lot of the time you know when when kind of people upset you or or kind of say the wrong things they don't understand the impact that those things have had and that's why getting the impact across is so important yeah so thank you so much for that i think what i like about um your method of writing is like you said you give people insights but also tools for them to use in their environments and with the people that they work with to make things better mm-hmm. so I think the book is going to be amazing, or the second edition, I should say. I'm really looking forward to getting my copy. Um, But thank you so much for sharing that. Okay, you're welcome. What drove you to write that chapter? So um, obviously the second edition is, you know, an update of the first with some maybe new ideas, etc. But what was it about communicating inclusively that made you feel that that needs to go into this book?
1: Yeah, the, the most of the book is about the different ways people communicate linked to their personalities. So that's what most of the book is about. And in fact, mm-hmm. that you mentioned intention and, and impact. A lot of the book hinges around that. And that's about emotional intelligence. You know, if you're aware, you might have a positive intention. But if the impact of your behavior is negative, then there's mm-hmm. a gap. Yeah, You're not behaving in an emotionally intelligent way. Um, and I think there's been so much about EDI or DEI, equity, diversity, inclusion, in the press, in uh, organisations. I'm a member of the Chartered Institute of Personal Development, you know, in the HR world, that it just seemed that there was a gap. You know, how we communicate, how we behave is influenced not just by our personalities, although that is a big part, but Mm -hmm. it's also influenced by, you know, our upbringing, our education, our background, our circumstances, you know, our state of our our mental health or or whatever so it's influenced by so many other things and I think it was a gap probably in the first edition of the book so I just became aware that uh, there were these other aspects of identity that influence how we communicate Mm -hmm. and it does seem to be a big need it's a really big need for people to be I think the book is called how to get on with anyone yeah and I think if you want to get on with anyone you've really got to more aware of these other impacts on how you communicate and you know how you impact other people um you have to be able to see past those stereotypes and those categories we were talking about uh, to the more complex human being that's that's behind it and i think you know what really struck me when I was so I interviewed a number of people as well as researching and reading and so on um for this chapter I interviewed a number of really interesting and fascinating people from different backgrounds Mm -hmm. the thing that really struck me is how important it is to treat people as individuals you know there's no one size fits all yeah we're all different we all have multiple different identities and, and influences on our behavior and that was one of the things that I sort of I think learned about inclusive communication as I interviewed people and put this chapter together. Um, and it reminds, somebody commented, you know, the film Avatar? Yeah. They have this phrase, you know, I see you.
0: Mm.
1: Meaning I really see you. I don't just see, you know, I, I really understand you. I really get you. Yeah. And in a way, I think I wanted to help people to see each other more in that way see them as fully rounded human beings rather than just one little aspect.
0: I love that. Oh, brilliant. Thank you. So what advice would you give to individuals or organisations looking to
1: improve their inclusive communication practices? Okay. I think the first thing is to talk to people. Talk to your employees or talk to the members of your organisation um, about what they need. You know, what would they, what, what sort of bothers them? Mm -hmm. what stops them from feeling accepted and valued going back to how we talked about it at the beginning you know what stops them feeling significant competent and likable what hinders it what do they need what what would they like people to be doing or saying that would help them to feel significant competent, and likable so I think talk to people first some organizations have sort of ally groups allyship groups so where people who share certain perhaps minority characteristics can come together and support and, and share experiences. And I think those groups, it's useful to talk to those groups or representatives of those groups. I think you can look at what other organisations are doing. I saw a presentation the other day from the Wildlife Trusts. Mm. It was mainly about written communication, actually, rather than verbal. But it was, had some really good stuff about how to be more inclusive in your written communications. Um, and then there's there's other books. So I would recommend there's a book by uh, a woman called Catherine Garrard. So another Catherine, Catherine Garrard called Conscious Inclusion. She used to be pretty senior in Sky, and she's written a whole book about different practices and systems and processes within organisations to try and be more inclusive. It goes well beyond my, my Topic, as you know, is just communicating inclusively. But if you're looking at the organisation as a whole and how can we be a more inclusive organisation, her book is a really useful book. It's got lots of um, suggestions and decisions and stuff that you you have to make. So yeah, just find out what other people are doing, talk to people. It's that whole situation. Once you talk to people, you realise there is there's lots of good ideas around. There's lots of good practice around, and we just need to make it more visible and share it.
0: Absolutely. Thank you so much. How do you envision the future of communication in a more inclusive society?
1: I wish I had a good answer to that, Grace, and I I don't have a good answer to that. It does sort of worry me. As I said earlier, we tend to have this bias towards people who are like ourselves so we tend to you know favor people who are like ourselves and social media can turn into a bit of an echo chamber can't it where you just you join groups and and communicate with people who think the same as you rather than who think differently from you Mm. Uh, and that does worry me a bit but i i think that you have to you know not expect everyone to be the same as you you have to be interested be curious in, about other people and about their lives and recognize and celebrate difference and sort of value those differences and not feel threatened by them absolutely um, so that's how that's what I would like to think we could move to mm. How no. many years that'll take? I don't know, but um that's that's what that's my the aspiration really just being aware that people are different, but valuing those differences and and the the great experience and diversity that they bring yeah yeah no I completely agree
0: I think that does sound like the utopia I think you know like like kind of you presented there is definitely quite a bit of work to be done to get there yeah um and I don't know if we'll necessarily see that in our lifetime but um I'm glad that you know books like yours and and conscious inclusion etc are out to hopefully do some of the or enable people to start to do some of the groundwork to create those societies Mm. yeah thank you so much for your time today this conversation has been really good I'm excited for the book um but I think your insights on inclusive communication have also been really useful because we we hear about inclusivity a lot but not necessarily enough about actually how do we Look at that from a communication point of view. How do we make sure that we're communicating in a way that is inclusive and makes everyone feel understood, feel heard, etc.? So, thank you so much for that.
1: Great. Thanks, Grace. Thanks for inviting me. I've really enjoyed talking to you.
0: Yay. This podcast is brought to you by Acquaints Consulting. We'd love it if you could take a minute at the end of this podcast to follow subscribe whichever is easier or available for you on the platform that you're listening to us on we're really keen to grow this channel and really impact equality diversity and inclusion across the world and with your support we can do just that